Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. It's good to see you. I have to say that. Um, I always appreciate when you come back week after week. So thank you for being here. Uh, I was away for a couple of days. Um, I had a chance to fly down to Florida to get some... Well, we had, you had lots of sunshine here last week, for sure, but I had just a little bit more. Than, uh, so thank you for giving me just an opportunity to be away for a couple days to get rested up. If you're visiting, by the way, for the first time, or maybe it's the first time in a long time, I just want to say we are so happy to have you in our home. We just love having guests uh, in our house. And I'll, I'll let you know this. You may not know this, but we're not a perfect church. It may come as a shock to some of you people that have been coming here for years, but we're not. But it's a great church. It's a great church to be a part of. And um, if you're just maybe here for the weekend, maybe you're on a business trip or visiting some family, you're just passing through, well, welcome, welcome. But, you know, maybe you're also from the community and you're looking for a place to call home. We certainly would love if you'd consider um, Temple Baptist Church. And a great place to start, really, uh, is at our Welcome Center. We have the best people that work at that Welcome Center, people who actually like people, okay? We find that's the key, and they love serving people. And if you have any questions um, about Temple Baptist Church, uh, that's a great place to start. I will say we have a rich, rich history because we have 80 years. We're celebrating 80 years this year, but I'm more excited about the future, about the next 80 years uh, of Temple Baptist Church. So certainly want to uh, welcome all of our first-time guests. And one other thing that was brought to my attention uh, as... Um, Glenn, Liz, and Owen, next week are coming, our candidates, uh, Glenn Ronson, his wife Liz, and their son Owen. Um, Saturday, you check the website, but on Saturday is an opportunity as the church can come and meet, and you'll be able to hear his testimony and his wife and get to meet them. And I'm not exactly sure of the exact time, but I know it's on our website. So I uh, check that out, and you can have the opportunity to meet him next Saturday. Well, we have been investing some time into the uh, book of Jonah. And, you know, I've always loved the book. I've always loved the book. But I have to say, the last couple of weeks, I've actually fallen in love with this book. I mean, who needs to go to the movies? There's so much drama going on in this book. Uh, as you're trying to figure out what is the plot of the story here in the book of Jonah. Now, we would be sadly mistaken if we thought that the book of Jonah was simply about a man named Jonah and a great fish. Because this story is far bigger than that. This story is all about sin. Actually, you know what? I'm going to have the church family help me on this, see if you've been paying attention. This story is all about sin and... Thank you for the one person who knew that answer. Four weeks I've been saying this. We're going to try it one more time. The book of Jonah is all about sin and... It's a story all about desperation and... True, there is hope. Deliverance. Remember DD, DDD. Try it again. Oh, my word. <laughs> I'm a failure. i got to go back to the very beginning, the first week. Okay. I'll just try this section right here, okay? You guys, just ignore what I'm going to ask them. This story is all about sin and desperation and hope. Deliverance. But it's full of hope, too. That's true. Okay. They've kind of got it. Just kind of show me that you actually do have it, okay? This story is all about sin and desperation and okay. 
obviously you listen over here. Uh, no, you guys are doing great. Now, I look at you guys all the time, straight on. There's absolutely no reason why this group shouldn't have this down pat. You understand? Exactly, exactly. I'm pointing the fingers at this group right here. This story, the story of Jonah, is so much bigger than a story about Jonah and a great fish. This story is all about sin and desperation and Woo-hoo-hoo! good job. Remember that. I'm going to ask you that from now on every week. We have four more, weeks, four more weeks left in the book of Jonah. This story literally is about God's grace. It really points out that we have, you know, the sin, but, but God's grace always reaches farther than when our sin could go. Just when we think there's a big gap, you know, our sin, God somehow is able to jump over that gap because his grace is always greater than the messes that we can make in our life. Sin always reaches farther. Grace makes no sense, humanly speaking. Isn't that true? Humanly speaking, grace makes no sense. The gospel, humanly speaking, makes no sense because we are conditional people. We live in a conditional world. We have conditional relationships. So grace makes no sense to us. Grace and the gospel is radically unconditional. God meets our rebellion with what? His rescue. God meets our sin with his salvation. God meets our guilt with his grace. God meets our badness with his goodness. It just doesn't make sense how God operates. And just when we think we have this relationship figured out, we go, wow, God contradicts everything. That seems to be the natural assumption about relationships. That's the grace of God. Well, for those who haven't been here, let's do a quick review. In chapter 1, it says right at the very beginning that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And the word to Jonah was, hey, Jonah, there's this great mighty city called Nineveh. And their wickedness has come against me. I want you to go and share about the grace of God. I want you to go to that city, the capital city of Assyria, Assyria, which if you've been around, you know that they have a bad rap. They have a bad reputation. They are very cruel people. These are war criminals, the way they treated their enemies. I don't know if anybody's ever gone to a Holocaust museum, but when I lived in Washington, D.C., there's a big one there, and I've been there a number of times, and I can only take so much. I would go in there, and sometimes i see the photographs, and I'd like, I, I, I just couldn't take it. And after a couple hours, I'd have to walk out. Well, this is kind of what the Assyrians were like. They are like the world empire at this particular time for 300 years, and they have a reputation of being extremely cruel. And God says, those are the people I want you to go to, Jonah, and share about God's grace. Amazing. Doesn't make any sense, does it? That God would want to extend it to those kind of people. And, God, and Jonah says... <laughs> Well, God says go. Jonah says what? No, no, not going to do it. No way, Jose. I don't like this plan, God. <laughs> Come up with another plan. Because plan A, as far as I'm concerned, stinks. I have no desire to go to that town full of slime. Now, it doesn't say that in the English. But if you do a Hebrew study, I think the word is there, slime. Uh, that's how he felt about these people, the Syrians. Why would I go to those kind of people? And Because God says, I want to extend my grace to these people. And even though they're the arch enemy of Jonah, 
Jonah's not going because they're his enemies. We've said that before. Jonah knows that God has the ability to protect him. But boy, Jonah doesn't want them to be able to experience what he's experienced. Because the reality is Jonah really thought he was so much better than those Assyrians. I'm so much better. In fact, if the, if the Assyrians could be more like me, what a much better world it would be. And that's where Jonah finds out that he's not as good as he thinks he is. And one of the things about studying this book is that we're learning that God, like God really, really desires that people would know this amazing, incredible, indescribable, relentless grace that he offers to people. And we're also discovering that when we look closely at the book of Jonah, it's like a mirror. We look at it, we study it, and we go, boy, I can see myself in Jonah. Even when we don't like to admit it, we like to see it. And so, of course, Jonah says, no, I, I, uh, I'm not going. I'm not going. And then, of course, God sends a storm. A storm that is so powerful, so strong, that even the, the seasoned sailors are very, very nervous. They've never seen a storm like this. Their ship is on the verge of breaking up. They have lost all hope. The idea of ever being able to see their families again, it was quickly fading. The idea of ever getting to land was soon to be gone. Literally, they were looking at death in the eye. And then the Bible says in the story that the captain of the ship goes down to the belly of the ship. I don't know why he went down there. Maybe he was doing a count of the passengers and one's missing. Maybe they needed more supplies. I don't know. But we find out he goes down to the belly of the ship. And, and believe it or not, there's a man who's sound asleep in the belly of the, fish, a belly of the, of the boat. A prophet of God. People about ready to perish. And there's this man of God sound asleep. I don't know, maybe he took NyQuil, PM, slept through the night. I don't know why he's sleeping, but he's sound asleep. And the captain comes up to him and says, man, wake up, wake up. Don't you realize we're about to die? He says, do something, like call on your God. Everyone else up on the deck are calling on to their gods. Maybe your God is strong enough and powerful enough to save us from the storm. Remember, Jonah's on the run from God. He has cut off all communications to God. He is not interested in calling on God. He made that very plain and simple. When he said to God, I'm not interested in following you. I don't like your plan for my life. I'm doing my own thing. And now here's the captain of the ship coming to the prophet of God. says, call on your God. <laughs> Let me tell you, Jonah is in no mood to pray. He's on the run from God. And God, unless you have come up with a plan B... I'm not doing what you want because I don't like this plan A that you have on my life. And so Jonah comes up on board and he's, he's quick to admit, I believe the storm is because of me. So Jonah comes up with this plan, listen, just kill me. And I'm not going to bother praying, just kill me. Throw me overboard. And, and really it's like assistant suicide, just kill me, help me. Uh, throw me overboard. And then of course the story is he gets thrown overboard He's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then God rescues him and sends him back again on the rescue mission for the great city of Nineveh. Now, we're at the part of the story where a lot of people would say, this is why it's a fictional story, some people would say. Because Donald, fish don't swallow men. That's crazy. That's why it's not a true story. 
But we have faith, people of faith, who believe that God spoke everything into existence, have no problem believing that God could create a fish that would swallow a man. And Jonah becomes so desperate, like most of us who are desperate, when we get desperate, what do we do? We pray. We pray. And here he is in the belly of the fish when he begins to pray. And that's what we're going to read today is what he prayed in the belly of the fish. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, turn to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, it's one of those hard-to-find books. I realize it's only a page and a half, and when you're trying to find it amongst 1,200 pages, it's, it's hard to find. Jonah. In Jonah chapter 2. Are you there? Oh, wow. You found it faster than I did. <laughs> Would you stand with me? Let's stand together as we read God's word uh, this morning. And before we start at verse 1 of chapter 2, let's just go back to the last verse of chapter 1. It says, but the Lord provided. I love those words. But the Lord provided. A great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, and said, In my distress, I called to you, Lord. And he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But, but, you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols and forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, with sacrifice to you, what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah unto dry land. Let's pray. Father, I pray and I ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning. I confess in front of this church that my words alone cannot do and make eternal differences in people's lives unless the Holy Spirit does his work. So Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would heighten our senses, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see who you are in all of your splendor and glory. Help us, Lord, to be able to see how the gospel is played out here in this book of Jonah. We love you, God. We love your son, Jesus, and we love the Holy Spirit. Transform us, we pray, for the glory of God. Amen. You may be seated. 
in this thing, we discover a, th- a few things about Jonah. Uh, Jonah's on the run. He's not interested in praying. He's doing his own thing. And yet he acknowledges in verse 3, 4, 5, and 6 who God is. He knows God. He just doesn't want to have anything to do with him at this time. He's like, he's mad at him, at God, for what he's done. And what I love about this story, as you read through the book of Jonah, is that, that the gospel is so clearly presented for us. I mean, it paints an incredible picture. Because here's Jonah who knows God. In our terms today, we probably would say, <clears throat> Jonah was saved. We might use that term. Jonah was saved. And though Jonah was saved, he was still in the need of being saved. You understand what I'm saying? So he saved, yes, they throw him overboard, and now he's in great need. We use a big word sometimes in churches, <clears throat> kind of a big theological word called sanctification. That's the idea that God has saved us from our sins. He is saving us daily from our sins. And ultimately, there will be a day that we are saved from our sins. And so there's Jonah. Yes, he has been saved by the grace of God. He is in need of being saved. Salvation kind of has three tenses. Our past, we have been saved. Presently, God is saving us daily from our sins. And ultimately, a glorification. When we ultimately will be saved from our sins. This is the story of Jonah. And the Bible says that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Remember, no flashlight, no little lantern, no pen, no paper, no little raft. He's in there. And we have recorded for us his thoughts about who God is. It's very insightful, by the way, on the character of God. In verse 1 of uh, chapter 2, let me go right back to there again. In verse 1, it says, I prayed. Isn't that interesting? For all up until this point, he wasn't interested in praying, no communication to God, but his life has really gotten bad. Boy, it's gotten bad. And it says, I pray. God has finally got Jonah's attention. And Jonah says, when I was in distress... I prayed. I called on the Lord, and he answered me. Can you grasp that? I have a hard time grasping that we have the ability to call upon the name of the Lord, and he hears us. I mean, the one who created it all, the one who literally hung the moon and the stars, the one who spoke it all into existence, the one who precisely placed where the sun needs to be, the one who divided dry land from the waters, the one who spoke all living things into existence, we have the opportunity to call upon his name. We have access, and the door is wide open to his presence. He's all-knowing, he's all-present, he's all-powerful, and we can call upon him. And Jonah calls on God right after he tries to commit suicide. That's when he calls on God. Right after Jonah has said, forget you, God. That's when he calls on God. Just when he says, I don't need you, God. That's when he calls on him. Just when after he said, you know what, God, go harass someone else. Don't harass me any longer. And then 
Jonah prays. And God hears him. Aren't you glad God doesn't hold grudges? Because let's be honest, if that was you and I, I think we'd say, a little too late, Jonah. It's a little too late for you now. But that's not God. There's a man on the run. God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. But boy, things got so bad in his life. He says, I called on God. And not only did he hear me, he answered me. Now picture that. He answered Jonah, even in the mess that he finds himself in. That is a powerful truth that when we call upon the name of the Lord, he answers. When we call upon the name of the Lord, he answers. By the way, that would have been a great place for an amen. So I'll try that again. I'm, I'm going to be working on you over these next 30 years that I'm here. And um, that you'll be responsible. Isn't it amazing that we can call upon the name of the Lord and he answers? Amen. amen. That's a powerful truth. It's a powerful truth. Have you ever been to a point in your life that you'd say, God, things are so bad. Like, God, they're bad. They're far worse than I ever thought they were going to be. I've tried everything. I've tried to do it on my, my own, but I, I, can't, I can't get out of this mess that I find myself. And nothing else is going to work, God, unless you step in and fix this jam that I am in. The Bible says that you can come boldly into the very throne room of God because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done. And the Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord, yes, and he will answer you. You know, sometimes, sometimes, you know, we go through these difficult situations. You know, maybe your marriage is crumbling. Um, maybe you've gone through a divorce or a loss of a child or a spouse. You've been fired from your job, and, and someone says to you, hey, I'll be thinking about you. What good is that? Pray! Because <laughs> the Lord says, call upon the name of the Lord, and he's going to answer. I'm thinking about you. No, 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 no. Pray. Pray. You know, um, I wasn't going to mention this, but on Wednesday nights, there's a group that pray right in behind here, this auditorium back here. Powerful. It's a powerful evening. And people come who don't really necessarily pray out loud. They just are in the midst of people praying. It's an amazing to be among people who pray and cry out to God. It's a powerful thing. You're always welcome, by the way, on Wednesday nights in the back. I know people pray all during the week. You pray in small groups. We have Wednesday, Monday night prayers and Sunday morning people are praying. People are praying right now, actually, while we're meeting here. It's powerful when you think about praying. And, and, and Jonah says, in my distress... It's an interesting term here because it's actually a pregnancy term that's actually used here, this language. It's like when you're in, 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 in giving birth, that, that moment you're in great distress. That's what he's saying. When I find myself in this great distress, God, somehow you're able to birth life in me. Kind of odd, isn't it? It's like Jonah says, I'm being born again even in this distress that I find myself in. And then he says... From the depths of the grave. Some of your Bibles may say Sheol. From the depths of hell. From the, from the farthest point that I can find myself from God. When I find myself hurting. 
when I have no hope, I called on God, and he heard. When I thought I was good as dead, but God, but God caused me to be born again. And from all places, Jonah says, the belly of the fish. I couldn't contribute a thing to help me fix my situation. I was hopeless in my own strength. And though I was doing my own thing, and though I disregarded you, God, when I called on you, you heard me. You heard me. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God that always reaches farther than our sin. So just when we think our sin has gone so far that there's no way God can reach us, God just says, oh, actually, I can go just a little bit farther. That's the grace of God. And you know what? Maybe there are some people here this morning who feel like you're in the depths of Sheol. Maybe you feel like you're in the middle of hell yourself. In the midst of pain, we find here, life can be born again. In the midst of the worst situation that Jonah finds himself in. God was actively working in Jonah's life even though it was a very painful situation. Oh, we said this back, Paul, because God is always working, isn't he? He's always working behind the scenes of our life. Even when we can't trace his hand, he's at work. It's normal, it's normal for sons and daughters of God to cry out to God in times of desperation, when we need help, when we don't know where to turn, when we're lost and we need deliverance. Of course we cry out to God, the one who holds all the power. We don't stop at the bottom rung. We go to the top and reach out to God. Jonah is in big trouble. He's in the belly of the fish. And wouldn't you do the same thing if you found yourself in this situation? It only makes sense that Jonah would cry, oh God, please help me. Help me. It's obvious I've gotten myself into this mess. It's obvious I can't get myself out of this mess. God, I'm desperate. I, I, I just need you. See, when we try, because we do try, I try to be the captain of my ship. I do. I think I can control it. And then I find myself in some huge storm of life when I realize, wow, I am not the captain after all. And here's Jonah. Now, here's where I wrestle with. I, I, I don't know the answer, by the way, to this. I'm trying to figure it out. Sometimes I wonder if I treat God when I pray like a genie in a bottle. I need you, God, now, so I'm just going to take my little thing down and rub it. Out comes God. Okay, I need help. I need salvation. I need this. I need deliverance, blah, 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 blah. Like, I know God's grace is greater. I know he always answers. I know that when in stressful times and full of distress and loss of hope, we can call on him. I'm so thankful for that. But as I wrestle with it, I hope, I hope and pray that I am not treating God in my prayer relationship with him, that he's just a good luck charm, a genie in a bottle. Jonah says, oh God, you are the one who hurled me into the sea. 
Jonah recognizes this is God's plan, what's taking place right now. Jonah's going down, down, down to the bottom of the ocean, and that's when he says, and then you, God, pulled me right up out of the pit. Some of you maybe this morning feel like your life is out of control. You may feel like it's just spiraling downward, downward. And you need a but God moment. But God in your life. And I know some of you could stand up, you could give a story where your marriage had literally crumbled and somehow but God did something in your heart that now you look at your spouse and you're more in love than you ever were before. And you go, that's a God moment. Because that, those things just don't happen humanly. But God. Never forget. But God. And when Jonah figured, finally figured out, God delivered him. And humanly speaking, honestly, humanly speaking, was there much to really invest in Jonah anymore? Because you look at this guy. Like, God, why even bother? <laughs> he's supposed to be a prophet of God. He is a prophet of God. And look at the way he's acting. Why would you even bother with him anymore? Do you not see how he treats you? I mean, he's on the run hoping to wash his hands clean of you. But there's God. But God. See, God loved Jonah so much he wouldn't let him get away with his little tantrum because the job that he has been called to the assignment is far bigger than Jonah and so this storm that has been sent has been sent by God because he loves Jonah not because he's angry at Jonah not because he's ticked off at Jonah he loves Jonah enough to save Jonah from Jonah and so God sends the storm for Jonah that's his grace. That's that grace that always just goes a little bit farther than we can mess up our lives. You know, we, we hear this term, I don't know, if it's cultural Christianity. We know Christ, we, we know who God is, we know things about him, but cultural Christianity is kind of when I look at what Jonah we know the truth, but we don't respond to it. We don't act upon it. Um, like, I would say this is cultural Christianity. God, I, I know what your word has to say. I know I probably shouldn't be dating a married man, but I love him. That would be cultural Christianity. We know God, but I don't want to do what he wants. God, I, I know that I probably shouldn't be sleeping around with her, but it's really what I want to do. That, that's cultural Christianity. And so here's Jonah, who knows God. Oh, he knows God. He just wants to do his own thing. He just wants to do his own thing. God, basically leave me alone. Bless me when I need to be blessed. Protect me when I need to be protected. But I'll just do things my own way. That's kind of cultural Christianity. And God came to give us far more than that. That's why his grace is always greater. This 
can you look at verse 8? Because this is where I'm wrestling with myself. I'm, I'm just being honest. I'm wrestling. It says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Wow. Forfeit. Forfeit. Why would anyone want to forfeit God's grace? Because it's always so much greater than our sin. But here, Jonah is saying, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace of God. I'm trying to figure out what does he mean by that? How can you forfeit God's grace? I think it's because sometimes we hold on to things that we know God doesn't want for ourselves, that want for us. We hold on to them. And I think when that happens, I think we forfeit the grace that could have been ours, that God is always extending. It may be actually one of the most important verses in this whole book, forfeiting the grace of God, because we're clinging on to what we want to do. In verse 9, it says, but I, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I don't know, when the word worship comes to mind, what, what is it you think of? Worship. Because oftentimes we'll say, oh, wasn't that great worship this morning in church? I think lots of us have a tendency to think that worship is just, it's singing. It's singing at church. But worship is far more than that. And I will say we have been created, by the way. For worship you do not have to be a christian or a follower of god to worship by the way because we've all been created as worshipers and we worship things that we ultimately give the most value to so if if you fear loneliness you may have a tendency to worship relationships that's the most important thing. My relationship with my friends, my spouse, my children. Like, that's the ultimate. And you depend on those relationships to give meaning to your life. You know, if you fear of being accepted, then maybe networking is very important to you. Because <laughs> I want to be accepted. That's the ultimate. If you fear failure, Maybe success is what you worship because that's the ultimate feeling. That gives me meaning. And, or if I don't have this or I don't have that, we go, man, my life is empty. Then that's what we worship. That's what we worship. It isn't whether you are a worshiper or not a worshiper. We're all worshipers. The question is who or what do we worship? according to the Bible, you can worship God or you can worship created things. I mean, we can do that. I know we tend to think of idols because it mentions the word idols as little wooden statues. But really, idols are anything that's just more important than God. Those things that honestly just shrink our soul. And do you know what? I just want, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, I'm guilty of this illustration i i really do love to speak i love preaching I, I love it i really do i love preparing and studying and the whole aspect but you know sometimes i can fall in this trap 
where I'll go online and I'll watch the message and I'll, and I'll take notes and, and I'll see how I can improve and, and do better. And then I'll go, I don't think I heard, I didn't get an email this week telling me how good this was. Huh. There's no lives being changed. Maybe I should quit my job. Like you said, this is what's going through my head. And then I stopped myself, Donald, it's good to give out God's word. But if that becomes your ultimate, then don't, your, your, your mind's a little messed up. Because that's not what you worship. And I have to be reminded of that. And sometimes I go, am I forfeiting the grace of God that could be mine? What is the thing or the person that if you were to lose, you would think life's not worth living anymore? Your child, your spouse, your career, your reputation. What's the one thing, if it was removed from your life, that you would say, I don't think I want to go on anymore? But that's probably what we worship. That's what we discover. We um, have a lot of functional saviors. Intellectually, we know Christ is the one who died and became my savior. But we rely on a lot of things to give us meaning in our lives. The chapter ends with the Lord being very merciful with Jonah, and Jonah gets vomited up onto dry land. The story doesn't end there. We're going to talk about that next week. But just like Jonah, by the way, who offered himself as a sacrifice, because Jonah says, here, take my life, throw me overboard, and everybody will be saved on ship. There was one, another who came, who offered himself to be sacrificed. Only this messenger wasn't motivated to save himself but to save others. And like Jonah, he was in the grave three days and three nights. And after these days, after these three days, he came to rescue men and women, not because he had to, because he wanted to. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus came to give hope, give you hope to give you a peace that is beyond human understanding, to give you forgiveness, to offer you grace like you've never experienced that before. The one thing that we're always looking for to have identity, the one thing that always causes us to be craving for more and more, Christ satisfies the craving. Only Christ. By the way, we are not the captains of our ship, and we are not the star of the show. And you can be thankful for that. You can be thankful that you're not the star of the show. Jesus is the star of the show. Fix your eyes on him. And when we look at the waters that are raging all around us, when it looks like we're going to sink, keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on him. Cry out to him. Because he answers.
Jonah was in the fish, and there was nothing he could do to provide him salvation for himself. There wasn't one thing. And we read in chapter 1, those men tried everything to save themselves. They rode harder. They threw their luggage. They threw their baggage, all their stuff they tried to get rid of just to save themselves. They couldn't do it. It was out of their grasp to save themselves. That's why the gospel is such great news. Because you don't do it yourself. You can stop trying to do it yourself. Because it has already been done for you. It's been provided for you. And so when our sin gets pretty big and pretty nasty at times, God's grace always just goes a little bit farther and says, I have grace that can cover all that. I have grace that can cover that. And the question is, this morning, do you know that grace personally in your life? Maybe you're here and you've just heard a lot about these stories before, about God and what he's done, but you don't know him personally. Today could be a day that your life could be changed forever, a defining moment in your life. If you would accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the one who can ultimately rescue you from your sin. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I, I know that if anything's going to be done here this morning, it's because of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we don't want to quench the Holy Spirit this morning. But Lord, if there would be one who truly <laughs> doesn't quite understand what it means to have the grace of God applied to their life, I pray, Lord, that truly you just open their eyes to see who you are. Jesus, the Savior of the world, but not just the Savior of the world, but personally my Savior. And so, Lord, in the quietness of this moment, I would just pray that people would search their own hearts and their own lives and to see where they stand with you. And, Lord, if there's this big gap, I pray that they would understand that the gap can only be filled with Jesus. That Jesus is the one who died that would allow us to be in relationship with God. That's his grace, the grace of God. So, Lord, do a work in our lives this morning. And for those maybe who, quite frankly, are on the run, Lord, they're just kind of doing their own thing. Lord, I pray that they would stop in their tracks and they would look and see you. See you offering this grace that can cover the sin in our life. I pray this in